We've been in this series of why we are certain things, why we have committed ourselves to uh, certain values and uh, certain expressions of our faith. We started our series by talking about how we are free Methodist. Um, You don't have to be a free Methodist to get to heaven, thank goodness. Uh, in fact, I'm rather suspicious that some free Methodists won't, and I pray for them. Um, but we do think that some of the things that we have uh, learned and seen and experienced in life lead us to express our faith in terms of loving God as he commanded us to love him, to love others as he said to love our neighbors as ourselves, and then Uh, to make disciples of all nations. And that brought us into how we are here at Northwest. Why are we Northwest? And why on this side of Wichita when there's other churches, some really big churches around here, but we think God has something unique for us at Northwest to do, that there is a purpose in his kingdom that we need to fulfill right here. Well, today we're going to broaden that out. And we're going to talk a little bit more personally, but broaden it out across our lives, not just here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or Thursday nights when we gather in this building, but wherever we go as the body of Christ, we are worshipers. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we do this together and why it's so important for us to gather and to uh, hang together on these things and make sure that we are not isolated in the family of God. So... When we talk about worshipers, I'm reminded that we live in a world today where, and and this has been true throughout time, we live in a world where people are drawn to worship something. We all worship something, and this time of year we know that better than any other time of year, I think, because football season has kicked off. So this time of year, yesterday, if you were a uh, college football fan, you were probably somewhere watching a game or games or several games. And um, I watched just a little short bit of the KU West Virginia game, and I wanted to say to Josh, we almost got you. He's a West Virginia fan, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, if you watch Georgia-Notre Dame, quite a good game. And some of us, you know, we bleed purple or blue or yellow, wherever you're at in the state of Kansas. Today is now another day, and we change our shirts and we wear other colors. And uh, for some people this afternoon, their day of rest is defined by sitting in front of that TV and watching an NFL team. And you and I know people who have shrines built in their houses and you go into a room and there's all kinds of memorabilia and it shows all the colors of that team and there's pictures of previous players and flags and things like that. And it's not just football. It's not just sports. We all worship something. That's the way we're built. We, we are always drawn to something that seems greater than ourselves. And we always want to be part of something that's bigger than me because somehow that makes me bigger, more significant. It gives me 
a little bit larger footprint in this world if I'm part of something that goes beyond me. But I make an observation here, and I'm not the first one to make it, and I won't be the last one to make it, but the things that we worship become the things that consume us. Another way that it's said, and I'll give you a quote here in a moment, is that what we worship eats us up. So let's sit with that for a minute. What we worship eats us up. So the things that we tend to focus our attention on, the things that we are drawn to, the things that we invest our lives in become the things that we worship and they begin to consume us. So there's this writer that uh, made this quote, and I like it. It's a lengthy quote, so it's going to take me about three slides. Bear with me. But before I read the quote, let me tell you a little bit about him. This was not a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and yet he was a very astute thinker, and he was a very capable writer with the English language. And um, he lived until 2008. I can't remember his name. It's on the last slide. Um, but he was a great thinker. He was a great writer. He, was, he had won a Pulitzer Prize. And yet in his life, he made some observations about worship And he says this, and I'll tell you where it led him later on. Because here's something else that's weird, but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, whether it be Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. That's what I said, right? He goes on. If you worship money and things... If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. That's by David Foster Wallace. Now here's the thing with David Foster Wallace. He was a great writer. He had a mastery of the English language, but in his life he struggled with depression. And I would suggest that he struggled to find something to worship that was more meaningful, that was greater. And I don't know that he ever found it. In 2008, he hung himself. Somebody with that astute of understanding, that awareness of our society, and yet he just decided, "Eh, not for me. We all worship something, and David Foster Wallace says, whatever we worship eats us up. And we need to be careful because what we worship may eat us up and leave nothing left behind. I want to flip that over. 
and let's, let's look at another great thinker. Let's look at the words of the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church in Romans. Some of you can probably quote the scripture. It's one of my favorites. <clears throat> he says, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Now, in other versions, it says this is an appropriate act of worship. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. So Paul is saying, you know, if you offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the living God, that is your act of worship. Now that contradicts what a lot of American Christians define as worship. You see, a lot of American Christians define worship very narrowly. It's what happens for about an hour on Sunday morning, or maybe even perhaps more narrowly than that. It's what happens when the band is up on the platform playing. That's worship. And then, you know, we go on from there, and when, when the preached word comes along, that's teaching, and when we're gathered together talking to each other, that's fellowship, but when the music is going, that's worship. And that's an incredibly narrow definition of worship. And it really does not fit Paul's definition of worship. So I think as, a, as people who are willing to be countercultural in our society, we should engage with this idea that worship is something we do with our bodies. That's what Paul said. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices and then in that other version this is an acceptable act of worship i want to take a step back because paul came up with this terminology and this this idea this concept even uh, some visual elements to it he came up with this from reaching way back into jewish history the history of israel so as he's talking to these people in Rome, Romans, it's, a, it's an eclectic group. There are some Jewish people there, but there's also Romans, Gentiles in the group. But he's saying to them, listen, I want to talk to you about worship as an act of sacrifice. And for every Jewish person sitting there when they're reading this, their minds are automatically going to revert to what sacrifice looked like in the temple in the Old Testament. And some of you remember, you've probably studied this stuff in a Bible study with us before, but you remember that in the Old Testament, when it came time to sacrifice, on the Day of Atonement, you brought a lamb, one of the first that was born, and one without spot. You, bought, you brought the first one you got, you brought the best one you got, and you brought it to the priest to make atonement for your sins, and you turned that lamb over to the priest, and the priest took it up on this altar, which was kind of, there was probably a ramp, and there was a kind of a grate, and they would, uh, and, it, and it gets gory right here. I'll just warn you, if you've got an empty stomach. They would slice the throat of the lamb, or sometimes a heifer, a cow. If you were really poor, you brought doves. They would, they would, cut the throat, they would bleed the animal on that altar and the blood would drip down 
to a lower part, and then they would burn the meat. And I don't mean cook it. I mean they would incinerate it. The priests were allowed to keep part of the meat for themselves to eat, but really the bulk of it was just totally incinerated. So you can imagine that people are standing in line. They've all got their livestock of some sort that they're bringing, that they're, we're here to worship either at the tabernacle or at the temple. And I've got an animal that was pretty costly. And it was the firstborn. I don't know how the others are going to do it. It was also the one without blemish, the, the best one I have. I didn't pick the one who came out with a leg that didn't work right or, you know, I didn't bring one that had some kind of tumor on it. I brought the best one. And I'm bringing that up, we're standing in line, and the people in front of me are turning these animals over to the priests, and the priests are leading the animals up, and they're killing them. If you've never been around an animal being slaughtered, it is not quiet, it is not pretty, it doesn't smell good, it's, it's a mess. And I would suggest to you that's what God desired. And if we go all the way back to... Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, and all of a sudden they knew they were naked because they'd eaten the fruit, and the Lord slaughtered animals and made clothing for them out of the skins of the animal, I would guess that he made Adam and Eve watch. Watch this. Something is about to die, and it's not pretty. In the United States, we've done this incredible job of sanitizing our food sources. So today, if you want some meat, you drive down the road to Dillon's or Walmart, you go inside and it's nicely packaged and, and you know, it, it, it looks really good. They put it under special lights so it looks really good. But my guess is, and I hope this is true, none of us is going to kill our lunch today. But our forefathers didn't have Dillon's. And so that's what they did. And you went home, and generally, you know, in, in, in my heritage, the heritage that many of us share here in the Midwest, if you went home on a Sunday afternoon, it was the Sabbath, that's what we considered it, and uh, even though it's not technically the Sabbath, but you didn't want to work too much, it was a day of rest, so usually what had happened was on Saturday, one of the easiest things you could slaughter was a chicken, and so how many of us grew up having fried chicken for Sunday lunch, Right? That's what we did. But we, we took care of that chicken on Saturday night out in the farmyard or out by the barn. And on Sunday morning, you came in and it was nice. It was clean. It was sanitized. And it was great. And I love fried chicken. The Lord intended for us to see that the cost of sin included sacrifice. Graphic, real, bloody sacrifice. Now, Jump forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The lamb that's worthy. The spotless lamb. And how many of these people that knew Paul and were there in the Roman church at least had heard the stories, perhaps had even been there to see it before they immigrated to Rome, and and knew that Jesus was brutally killed graphically killed in a public execution and everybody watched and he himself had had laid this groundwork to trigger their memory that I am the lamb my body will be broken my blood will be shed 
And so then Paul comes and he pulls on this long thread of history and he says, you know, from animal sacrifice in the Old Testament up through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he pulls maybe a a tangent thread in because there's Romans who have been people who worshipped other gods and probably made other kinds of sacrifices to idols in other temples and he goes, but you know what? You get to give a living sacrifice. You get to give a sacrifice that doesn't require a death because death has already happened and it has already been conquered. So now we want to come in the same spirit and we want to come to worship and say, we give our best, we give our all, and it could be incinerated if that's what you want, Lord. And he refers to the sacrifice as worshiping with our bodies. So this is the deal with your body. Because our tendency is to say, all this stuff around me can be used to worship God. My time, my energy, my money, my intellect, all this stuff can be used to worship God. I get to push worship out or out there. So I can play music in church. I can put money in the offering plate. I can, I can even go and work with the kids. That is a really great act of worship. Or if I'm really holy and spiritual, the teenagers. <laughs> but I can do it all out there. And the Lord says, you know, that's great. Those acts of service are wonderful, but I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is a worship that encompasses all of our being. It's not about when the music starts. It's not this narrow segment, one hour a week on Sunday morning. This is about offering our bodies once and always. This evening, I'm going to stand with a couple. They're going to be exchanging their vows and getting married. And in those vows, I went over with them as we were preparing, and I said, you know, you're making a promise, and you're making a promise that is a lifelong promise. Remember that. Because the rest of the world will tell you that when it gets inconvenient and hard, when you get mad at each other, you can get out. I don't think that's valid. I, I think you should make a promise that says, I'm, I'm here, I'm yours, you can count on me no matter what comes, I will be your spouse until death us parts us. I think worship is a thing where we come and we say, Lord, you get to have all of me. Not 10%, not one hour, not a fingernail, all of me. It encompasses all of us. And this idea of taking, pulling back to that idea of taking a lamb that is led or a, a, a young calf and that is led up onto an altar and then you go, you know, could you just cut their ear off? No. Everybody would go, that's not how it's done. Once they get up there, they're gone. It's all gone. It's all his. That's worship that encompasses. But here, let's, let's take this a little bit farther because our tendency is to think of worship as what we get. It's what we consume. It's kind of like a commodity. So we come together on a, 
on a Sunday morning, and we get to, we get to listen to music. They practice, they put together, they found new songs that fit right really well with my message, and, and hopefully we're all practiced up so you get to hear music and there's no bad notes and things like that. You get to come here and there's greeters and there's air conditioning and you go, this is great, this is comfortable, and I get to rest for a little while before we commence the next week. And worship becomes a commodity. Where I've really seen this among Americans is when we get into what has been called the worship wars and people start to talk about how others sing, play music, that's the biggie, don't like the music, also how others dress when they come together, about what they say, how they conduct themselves, and we go, wait, wait a minute, you know, that's not the way I like to do it. The story was told, I believe it's about Wayne Cordero. He's a pastor in Hawaii. And he started a church plant and he was in there and he was, they were leading worship on a Sunday morning in a school, sitting in chairs in an auditorium and uh, playing music. And afterward, there were some people who had come and visited. There were guests there. Afterward, he was talking to them. And one of them came up and they said, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think you're doing a great thing, but I really don't like your worship. And Wayne Cordero's response, and he had obviously thought about this, and he was anticipating this, and Wayne Cordero's response was, let me ask you a question. What did we do that God didn't like? What did we do that God did not like? And the people just walked out. Because they were ready. They had a whole list of, I don't like, you know, what she was wearing up on the platform. I didn't like that song. I didn't, and what did we do that God wasn't pleased with? So we have made worship a commodity for us to consume. I'm going to go to church because I need to get refilled. You know, I need to, I need to plug in and, and get me through the next week, and it becomes a commodity. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes back and he goes, no, worship isn't a commodity that you consume. It is a sacrifice that you make. That's why he talks about our whole body, because here's the thing. If you make your body a living sacrifice, you get to worship wherever you go. You don't have to be in this building on Sunday morning with a band. You might be driving down the road during rush hour. You may be sitting in your recliner at 11 o'clock at night. You may be just waking up in bed trying to figure out where you are this morning. Everywhere you go, at every moment of the day, everything you do can be an act of worship if you have offered your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That means we worship all in. That means we look for God everywhere and we offer him the glory he is due whenever we see and recognize that he is at work. This means we worship with our entire being. I know this is lofty. I know this is asking a lot of us, but could it be possible that every act we do throughout the day could be tainted, it's the worst word for it probably, could be skewed by holiness? 
So everybody else might be doing similar things. They might be washing dishes. They may be looking for the remote control this afternoon. They might be watching the Chiefs play. But could we do it in such a way because our bodies have already been offered to the Lord. We have given everything to the Lord. And so when we do it, it somehow becomes holy. Somehow it becomes pleasing to God. And if that is true, when we wander into things that do not please God, I believe that the Holy Spirit will check us. And say, okay, Dad, I don't want this. Step away. Withdraw from this. You know, when we worship with all that we are, sacrifice is at the center of our worship. It's in different terms now for us. We live in a new, under a new covenant, in a new testament. And so, thank goodness, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you don't have to bring animals in here on a Sunday morning for me to kill. I am so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for that not just because of the mess we'd have to clean up, but I'm grateful for that because we have been offered the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when we recognize and, and when we wrestle with how big that was, it seems normal, natural, automatic that we would go, Lord, then let me give you something that comes the closest to what you have given us. And that's my whole life. That's my every moment. A living Not a dying sacrifice, but a living, ongoing, breathing, moving, even an evolving, transforming sacrifice.